Welcome to an extended review of the best Christmas on record. This is episode S-7 of Down Gilead Lane by Beth Culp. Settle in for a Christmas in July special from your dedicated hosts. Ryan Matlock. Hannah Matlock. Austin Peachy. And Michael LaFaver. And now, enjoy episode 44 of Return to Gilead. Well, guys, it's barely Christmas in July, but this is the longest episode of Down Gilead Lane. I think it should be two episodes, actually. So that means we have an extended discussion on this one. What do you guys think? How are you guys doing? It's an episode. I enjoyed it. I love this episode. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. Can't say I agree with you. But I am looking forward to talking about it. There's always one. Yeah, I don't know what's up with this, but I'll go ahead and read the summary. John and Mary tell their kids the story of their first Christmas together, which took place during the Richter's preparations for a classic Christmas competition. So here's the thing. We've got a ton of time to settle in and talk about whatever we want in this episode. Why don't we talk about all the positives first? Like I've got I've got some nitpicks. I'm not going to mention them until later on. So how about we go ahead and talk about just the great parts of this episode, because there are some really, really nice parts from the very beginning, from the altered music that John Campbell does for the intro and the the different host who's not Jacob or Zach at the beginning of this. And with all the Christmas sound effects and the first couple scenes, the the warm feel, the cozy traditions that the, the, the Morrisons have, and a lot of the flashback stuff too is really heartwarming. So how about we get into that? Yeah. Okay. I like that we're seeing the Morrisons doing a lot more stuff together in this episode because in the first Christmas special, we don't hear a lot of them together. We don't hear uh, the boys at all, except in the Bible scene. We only hear Haley in the kitchen with Brooke and her parents. With this, we get to see them doing their different Christmas traditions. We heard a lot about Thanksgiving traditions and peace and thank you. So it's so nice to hearing what they all do for Christmas in Coleraine. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to hear the origin of one of their traditions. I don't know if we'd seen the caramel corn tradition before but in this one we hear about it from john and brooke who are making caramel corn and he alludes to what they what the tradition actually was at the beginning of the episode and then we hear at the very end sort of the context for why that tradition happened so that's cool it's a great setup yeah although we never hear why how the christmas nest started that's a tradition but we don't know how it started no i think it's obvious they just wanted to get cozy by the fireplace but they all wanted the same spot so they just dogpiled on each other yeah the kids are all just like (laughs) nest and the parents are like okay i guess this is happening now (laughs) (laughs) which speaking of the parents uh throughout the episode as they tell the story of when they were younger i think the actors for john and mary did a great job sounding younger (laughs) it was Um, kind of obvious but yes mary's like a little bit perkier and stuff and yeah i guess it's a little obvious but like it's just they did a good job on it Mm -hmm. i really liked it yeah younger but also kind of still in that newlywed happy i don't know how to put it they haven't settled down with like a bunch of children and mellowed <laughs> quite yet. Yeah, but kind they're of. they're also like still dealing with pressures, obviously. Right. Yeah, you can see that in Mary's excitement over the phonograph in one of those first scenes where she says, "Oh, I, I know, I know, we can't get it, but you know, it's it, I, I'm just window shopping or whatever her line is." You can tell that she's some of the she's got the same personality, but not necessarily the same perspective because even yeah. though she even though she really wants it. She's not fully communicating to John, you know, this would make me really happy if we had this. And I'm sad that 
you're not around more often. And it comes out later on in the episode. And John mentions in the context to his kids that they were on the brink of, of an argument, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually not a big fan of their different voice inflections <laughs> for like the flashback scenes. I get used to it after a while. I think it works better for John's voice than Mary's. I'm assuming the actors are doing that themselves and not actual like voice modulation and post-production. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure them. if that might have been better or not. It does make sense because they are kind of narrating the story. Like, it's good to have that uh, difference in sounding so we can tell, oh, yeah, this is a different time period. So if you're not paying attention, you can easily tell, okay, this is a different time period. And, of course, pregnancy causes voice inflections, you know. <laughs> Does it, though, Hannah? No, no. no. It's a joke. <laughs> no. For John? But, but the way they showed, like, pregnancy hormones affecting things, on point. Well done. <laughs> you cry over the dumbest things and you're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just a mess right now. I'm sorry. Jumping back real quick. <laughs> I think this is the first time that we've had an actual flashback that wasn't slanted because we had the one from, what was it? Uh, teed off. Season two. Yeah. With uh, with Maya and Michael. I think that was teed off. Yes. Yeah. And then we'd had a couple flashbacks to Ms. Kopech. And to to those scenes in season two. Uh, But those were just flashbacks to earlier episodes. This is a whole storytelling segment. And I love it. It's great. Yeah, like we get to hear a little bit from Tiffany uh, with her mom there. And again, she's not wanting to do much community service like she did in All for One. She kind of calls it community service. I'm not sure if it's actually (laughs) that. She's probably just being pulled along with her parents to do this with them. I'll bet that Monica pulled the way Monica pulled her along was telling her she'd get community service for it. (laughs) That's probably true. But yeah, it's it's so it's so nice here in the contrast in that same scene with how they treat the Morrisons. Tiffany's is like, you know, hardly veiled insult at all. Like she's very annoyed. She's not really hiding it much. You can hear it in Monica's voice. She has this, you know, false sense of sincerity there, but she masks it better than Tiffany does. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a good time to jump in. Like the last two episodes, this one breaks the release chronology. This episode was released between seasons three and four. I think it aired in 2002. I might be wrong. I'm trying to figure out how all that release or all, all the release like release dates work. But if this aired Christmas 2002, The Secrets of Grace and season four were finally revealed in season, uh, I think, in 2000, 2003. So this episode takes place in the year to Christmas. And that's proven by John and Mary saying that their first Christmas together when Brooke was five months, when Mary was five months or four months pregnant with Brooke, that was 16 years ago. So that means Brooke was born around May, give or take a few months. And so doing math here, she would have to be 15 and seven months at the time of this story. But she's 14 in When Push Comes to Love, which is a few months before Christmas year one. So therefore, this has to be Christmas year two. That makes sense. Math. Hey, I... uh, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you so we can move on to the actual episode this time. <laughs> Wait, well, we, we have time. We have a ton of time. Is there a problem with working out the chronologies, I'm wondering, Austin? No, no, it, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm being kind of facetious here. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, moving on to the actual story. This shows the Richters and the Morrisons interacting both in this story before anything is known about the Richters' backstory, what was alluded to at the end of season three, and then here... In the present, like the reason why this is significant that this episode takes place in year two and not in year one is that we get a scene with Tom and Monica Richter at the end. 
And we don't hear the kids saying or reacting to them like, oh, this, the, these are the Richters. This is the context that we now know from what we've discovered. We don't get that. Although maybe if canonically this episode takes place, then that is actually in the back of their heads. You know what I mean? Mm. I think it works either way. This episode, yes. it stands alone very much on its own. I don't think anything in this happens. You could say s- some character, it might influence their character later, but there's no actual ties to other episodes of the events that happens in this too much, except right. for like the apartment thing. So really, it could be at any point before season four or even after season four. Yeah, but I, I just think it's it's cool that even though they may have these thoughts about the Richters now, they're still treating them well when they show up at their house. And even though they may have those reactions, they, that's a further development for the Richters that they are they do actually have a heart. And at the end of the episode, when they return the phonograph, which this is a long review. Austin, do you want to play that clip now or do you want to play it later? Yeah, I was going to mention that. would be a good time to play it. Why don't we just do it now? I will do that. Please do. Oh, but these belong to you now. You, you bought them from me, remember? No, Monica? no, the records go with the phonograph. I'm sorry, we can't, we can't take no. them. They're yours. Monica, are you, are you ready to go? Yes. Well, Merry Christmas. And, um, I guess... I guess I never said thank you for that year. And all you gave us gave me. You're welcome, Monica. Take care. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas to you. Yeah, so is Monica talking about just the phonograph and the records, or is she talking about more the hospitality that they showed? I think it was the kind of the hospitality, but sort of more so that they enabled her to get off on a good foot with her mother-in-law. Right. Yeah, that's a big thing that I totally missed the first time I listened to this episode. That Tom is mentioning, I think John and Mary mentioned that the Richters were newly married and that Monica was having a hard time impressing Mrs. Richter. And then Tom mentions it at the end of the episode. So yeah, that's, that's a significant thing. what do you guys think about that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a really sweet scene. It's probably since Maya, it's the most, the most real they are with the Morrisons at this point in the series. And what another thing I like about it too, is it's not a total change on Monica or Tom. It's, you know, it affects them a little bit. They do this nice thing and that's it. And we hear episodes after this, that thing doesn't seem to have changed a whole lot. It's not like A Christmas Carol where Scrooge is totally a different person by the end of the story. And I'm glad that this happens that way that, you know, Monica or whatever, she becomes completely different after this or in this episode. It's just that little seed there that may or may not change her or Tom later. Yeah, so where does that come from exactly that Monica comes to give back the phonograph? That's got to be from the very first or second scene, right? Of the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd imagine it came sure, from yeah, when they were reminded. buying the drinks and cookies. Yeah, because they reminded her about it. Yeah. Yeah, and especially because that ties back to the other thing that technically Mary and John gave her, which was Grace. Because it's not just that they did a nice thing for her. They did a nice thing for her, even in the face of her kind of blatantly... Uh, delaying giving them or like not giving them a stay on the rent intentionally so that she could take the phonograph and then it's clear that John bought the phonograph so that he could have it for sure and he's like yep actually uh, I do have this Uh, thank you very much Monica (laughs) and 
And so from her perspective, she's like, oh, yep, I definitely got played here. I, I deserve that for how I've treated them, like ruining their apartment with the decorations. And on top of that, not giving them a stay on their rent. Um, This is and she's probably like kind of feeling like, well, I guess I'm getting what I deserve while everything's falling to pieces during the festival. But then they show up and say, hey, we're here to help you. And then they don't even come back and say, give us our record player back or say, like, you owe us big time or anything. It's like she gets to sit with that information that they gave it to her and then left without expecting anything whatsoever. And that that phonograph has been in her possession for like over a decade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's finally doing what she believes to be right and returning it to them. Right. And I like how one of you were talking about, you know, showing grace to the Richters. I like it how John and Mary are very careful not to depict Monica. And Tom's not really much of an issue with the story, but well, maybe Monica, they don't paint her as a villain. Mm-hmm. They're very careful like that when they say something bad about her, or even when John talks about how he was, you know, kind of, you know, throwing that in her face about, oh, yeah, I got the phonograph. He's like, yeah, that wasn't the right thing for me to do. And they're very careful to show their kids, hey, even though she was doing this, we don't have a right to treat her that way. And they they show a lot of grace to her and show a great example to their kids to how to treat people when they don't do the things that you want them to do. Yeah, several of the interjections from the kids and the jumps out of the story come from Haley or Justin or Brooke saying, oh, I can't believe she did that. Or Monica is so mean. And them saying, no, no, come on. And... I think that's when Mary jumps in and says that Monica was trying to impress Tom's mom, right? One of those one of those little jump outs? Mm-hmm. I think maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's really small, but at one point, I think someone in the background, one of the workers says Joe, and I'm wondering if that's Joe Thomas working on any of that stuff out there. Funny you should mention that, because Kevin Yan, who plays Joe Thomas, actually, I think, also plays Arnie, who is the antique store owner. Ah, yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to go back and listen to that tidbit from the Swiddigal, but I'm pretty sure that's what that is. So we've got him. We've also got the construction worker who's kind of he's kind of got a grudge against Mrs. Richter for making her do all that stuff, her royal highness. And then when she turns around and yells at him when he's talking about all of the power that they're going to have to they're going to have to use for the setup, he goes, what is it with this woman? Uh, and then the other cameo is Beth Culp, who plays the judge. Did you guys pick up on that? No. I remember hearing on one of the podcasts of DGL that that was her. Yeah, yeah. It's the same voice as Tara Fields, who is also Beth Culp. Is this the first episode, too, that uh, the credits refer to her as Beth Culp instead of uh, Beth Klima? Oh, good point. I think this episode, the credits does say Beth Culp, but I'm not sure if there's any part in season three where she's credited as as that. Huh. I don't know. That's really interesting. Maybe that'll help with the chronology. <laughs> or I can just reach out to Steve and ask him what the air dates were. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> or that. <laughs> But yeah, going back to Joe Thomas, I didn't hear that. Where do you remember where that where that reference was, Austin? I think it's maybe one of the other workers saying, "Hey, Joe, we got to do this" or something like that. And then I sound almost sounds like the actor for Joe Thomas. He sounds different. Like he sounds more like uh, kind of mean spirited or whatever. So I'm not sure if it's the same person or not. I mean, he just changed over the years. But I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that'd be kind of cool if it was him." Interesting. Mm-hmm. So with this episode and with Summer Camp Blues and with. A couple other random episodes so far. It's been hard for me to keep track of all the cast. So it'll be interesting to try to pick up on all the little references here and there to the characters. As far as further just lines and things that I liked about this episode, Mm -hmm. I I loved just the storytelling. There's really funny kind of humorous snark moments. There's like one (laughs) right after 
they the kids learn that the Richters were their landlords. Yes. <laughs> Fallout. And the dad's like, oh, we didn't tell that part? Okay, well, the Richters were our landlords. Now you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that reveal. Yeah, because she says, oh, by the way, I'm still thinking about your rent payment. And the music is swelling there. And then we immediately jump out because the kids are interrupting John's train of thought saying, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. So that's that's cool. Another bit of history, we also find out that Mary was a teacher at one point and John was a lawyer. Oh, huh, well, we knew John was a this lawyer. This is true. Because that was that was how he became that was before he became a judge, right? Didn't Oh we... yeah, meet the Morrisons, right? I think so. I, I think it was established then he'd been a lawyer for a while. Yes. Yes. And I thought it had been established previously that Mary was a school teacher. Maybe? I know she like volunteered at Timmy's school in the first episode, I think. Yes, yeah. but I thought there was some place where somebody mentioned that she had been a teacher before. Was it in the episode where Haley thinks she doesn't do enough? I don't think so i know she also volunteers for a field trip in season four that episode is so the episode you're talking about ryan that's is that sick of it yes that's the one that's the one where oh right that's okay there we go i had forgotten about that one yeah so this does give a a a lot of backstory and lending to the idea that beth culp has all of this planned out or at least when she wrote it she had all of it planned out written out books written about this i think is the, the way the story goes and so in her attempt to keep all of the backstory consistent and to build new stories off of these backstories, I think she excelled in that. She succeeded and excelled because everything is super consistent about the characters up to that point. There's, I don't think there are a ton of contradictions in this show, at least in, in the part where she was the main writer behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did a great, great job with consistency. For yeah. sure. Okay, well, how about we pivot and talk about that one scene... In the middle of the episode, or, or toward the end, it's kind of the climax of the storyline. Okay. With John and Mary in their apartment. Are we going to go there now? Sounds Raise good. Yourselves. So, I I am not a fan of really most of the Christmas episodes up until the episode that takes place in the middle of season eight, for different reasons. Friend Mary with Love was fine. I didn't think it was too great. But this episode, specifically, I don't see a lot of re-listening value for me in this episode, personally. Because I can't get through that one scene. Do you guys want to talk about this scene and I can talk about yeah. what my issues are with so it? So what is it about this scene that it, you find it difficult? Is it just the sound effects in the back? I'm trying to figure that out. There's a couple things. And it works together to where it's not like I like analyzing story structure and this is kind of eh to listen to. It's that I have an actual physical reaction to listening to this, this scene mostly because of the sound effects. Now, the sound effects are what give me that reaction, and if you're listening on headphones, then it's droning constant there in the background, and it's overpowering the dialogue at times for me to be able to listen to. It It's grating, it hurts. I am so relieved when we jump out back to the Morrison house and the kids say something, and then we go right back in and the power goes out. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> no! that's, that's, it's, it's relief, yeah. But combine that with Mary's over-the-top crying which is i will i'll concede that is realistic and hannah you can talk about that too if you want to but even if it is realistic there are just some things in in the context where i know this is realistic i don't want to hear this and it's it might be fine 
I'm just not prepared for that in a heartwarming Christmas episode. Sure. It's uncomfortable to listen to. Like in in an episode where somebody is dying or in an episode where somebody <laughs> is, there's something more serious going on, those emotions are good. Or maybe just dial it down from nine to like five and still give us the idea that she's overreacting to this stuff, but don't actually have it be she's blowing out the microphone while she's recording this thing. <laughs> <laughs> that might that might help a little bit, but the, and then the third thing is that this is uh, a parallel to the gift of the magi, and this is the one time, the one and one of the only times that I'll say I think Odyssey did this one better. Interesting. Yeah. Than uh, than Gilead, because I, I I was listening through this and I thought you know, give me Magin Guy any day. Unfortunately, because I I feel like that parallel. And that bringing that out, like this was this was a story that Mr. Whitaker came up with, and it was supposed to parallel this story. That's that's great for that context, but then for it to one for it to actually happen in the episode, that's okay. But when John directly calls attention to it, there's a thing in in writing about credibility. That line kind of lessens the credibility, in my in my opinion, of the episode to say, "Oh, hey, we're doing a this parallel in this fictional story. Isn't that fun?" I don't I don't think that helped by bringing that parallel out there. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, interesting. I I actually kind of liked that comment because instead of just sort of using a trope, they sort of identified poking at their own thing. Dan Povenmire does this sort of thing quite often where he'll do something that's just very he's using an old trope, he's using it again and again and again, and then he pokes humor at at that overuse of whatever trope and it suddenly goes from yeah okay to oh that's funny because you are so self-aware of what you're doing right dan povenmire being the guy the phineas and ferb guy oh yes um oh okay okay the, uh, but then also like i th- i i almost take it even further like i think that it's good and i'm not trying to debate you on this like this <laughs> is just my perspective how about we dialectic um, instead of debate is that good right <laughs> right. My perspective is that it makes sense for him to say this is the gift of the Magi because it's kind of that obvious. And if he didn't say that, that would make this episode something that it's like, it's not something original that the writer came up with. They're stealing from something else. And then you hear it and you're like, oh, they're just doing another take on gift of the Magi. But for it to be like the characters say, oh, what a funny thing for us to be in a situation that mirrors an actual story. It's something that the characters would actually say if they were real people. Is that, does that make sense? It kind of does. And maybe maybe my problem is more the fact that Beth Culp worked in the, the, the parallel to the story and then John acknowledged it. I'm not sure. I think part of, part of what's going into this scene is that I wouldn't have a problem with Mary's being over the top and I wouldn't have a problem with John's reference if it weren't for the sound effects, but because the sound effects Which are there, agree they, with. <laughs> they, with this, because the sound effects are there, that's a basis for me to pick up on the other two things and say, okay, if the parallel weren't there, and if Mary's overacting weren't there, and just the sound effects were there, it would be, eh, but I wouldn't hate it. I, I don't, I don't hate it right now. It's, it's just rubbing me the wrong way. But because all three are there, that's that's a little bit getting under my skin. Sure. It's a, it's a little, you, you know, if the characters were constantly scraping sandpaper across their face, you'd be like, ah, stop. And maybe <laughs> it has something good to do with the story, but still, just stop. It That's, hurts my ears. This is Dandruff eating a soft-boiled egg. <laughs> 
I'm I, gonna, no, I want that. What is that? I, I want that episode. What is that episode? I said the title of the episode earlier. Is that other side of the glass part one? That's yes, other side part, of the glass one. part one. There we go. Okay, easy. Continue, Austin. <laughs> okay, well, I have a lot to say about this scene here. Oh, go so, for it. So here we go. So Wait, actually, the hey, one here's thing the thing. about how well, I'm sorry, real quick, <laughs> before you go ahead, would it be helpful for for the for the listeners just to hear a little bit of the droning sound effects, just just to get an idea? Sure. Do you want me to play that now, or are you gonna just put that in post? Well, do we all know what it sounds like? Uh, yes. yes. I'm home, honey. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> honey. I'm so sorry. I just had to finish the paperwork for that case. I don't want to hear it, Jonathan. You're three hours late and you didn't even call. Three hours? No, see, you don't Yeah, so that's that. Uh, (laughs) I love editing in post. Austin, go for it. (laughs) All right, so here we go. So I think the way you're annoyed at the scene is kind of meant to be almost intentional. So, one, Hmm. you hear a little bit of that sound effects outside. John and Mary are annoyed by it with all the sound out there, the hammering outside, the pounding, that kind of stuff. And it builds to that. You get Mary is also kind of holding back some of her emotions and saying things in front of John. And getting to this point, like we talked a little bit about like her over emotional thing, which I think works great because one, her character's like that. She's pregnant. It's the first Christmas being married and her husband's not spending much time with her. That's totally understandable. But I think with the sound effects there, you're supposed to be kind of annoyed at it. And also, when that stops, when the power goes out, you hear that difference a lot more that way. And it's supposed to be annoying. It's this is this episode. Parts of it are kind of bittersweet. This might be kind of the bitter part of it. But I think it's kind of like um, I was re-listening to an episode of Audio Theater Central when they reviewed one of the Jonathan Park albums, one of the new adventures. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go into spoilers here. It's a really great episode, but there's two characters. After you finish one episode, you go into this next three parts. Two characters are dropped in a totally different environment. They have no idea why they're there, and you're confused. And I know JD was mentioning how he was like so confused about that. Much. He didn't like that. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, <laughs> but um, but I think Roy or Andrew mentioned that. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's what you're supposed to. You're supposed to feel the confusion, which I think it works great in that. With this, you feel that annoyance, like come on, Monica, really? You're doing all this and also you're kind of feeling that annoyance like, yeah, come on, John, you you need to do better. So I think that the sound effects and the acting, that kind of stuff, it's made to make you feel more than just, oh yeah, she's sad. Yeah, it's a little bit of annoying. It makes you feel it. It may not be the greatest to hear, but it works great for the story. It makes you feel like you're in that position with, like you're in that room with the characters. Now, as for the Magi thing, like the gifts of the Magi thing being different, I don't think Odyssey did it better. I don't think this one did it worse. It's very different. The magic, the yeah. Yeah. Uh, comedy versus guys, drama. Okay. okay. Yeah, and this one they don't stop at that, which I love because if you know the original story of Gifts of the Magi, then oh yeah, that's it. That's it. they end after they give the gifts and they love each other even more. But this they continue and it continues. It it subverts your expectations. Yeah. There, you don't know once you know that if you've already kind of picked up on it before then you still got more to look forward to. It doesn't just stop there. You got all the stuff where they give the phonograph away and all this. Yes, you yes, have the I nice did like that. At the end. So it's different enough that just the mentioning of it, I don't think it detracts from it because the episode itself, probably a third of it, maybe two thirds of it is built around that kind of story. But there's enough stuff here that's new and original that I don't think it makes a difference mm. um, for them, for John mentioning it there. Rant over. 
Yeah, so <laughs> no, no, no. it's sort as, of like as far as if you hate goes, that... I kind of want to ask a couple questions about that. But anyway, Ryan, continue. Yeah, so it's sort of like if you hate that scene, good. You're supposed to. <laughs> well, so I didn't mean that I think the whole episode is a bad gifts of the, gift of the Magi parallel. It's just the one scene when compared with the scene between Madge and Guy in Gifts for Madge and Guy on Odyssey. And the comparison there is that I get what you're saying. That one's a more, it's a more comedic episode. It's a more comedic scene. This one's very serious. So yeah, okay, I can see where you're coming from with that. And I think that's more what I was mentioning earlier, just the compounding all of this at once kind of led me to that point. If a situation in your life happened like it did in an Odyssey episode of Young Lane, you'd probably call that out in real life, right? I would, yeah, but that's real life. The thing is, when a writer does that on a show, it's just obvious that you wrote the whole thing. You wrote the whole thing after you realized you were doing a parallel. Like, you you might have even intended the parallel to be there. So, like, I see what... Yeah, I think the intentional, it was intentional, I believe. Right, so I see I see what you're doing there. It's not just that it accidentally happened. This is lame. No, it's not lame. It's it's fine. But Ryan knows what I mean, right? With the... <laughs> yes. No, it's it's okay. It's just calling something out like, hey, doesn't this parallel this? Yeah, it does. You're a clever writer. I get that. That's just that's a I guess itself a trope that I was I was seeing uh, echoed in this episode. So it's not necessarily a problem. Well, John was kind of laughing while he was saying that. So it kind of it's kind of meant for almost comedy. Okay, yeah, that's that's fine. There, I can I can move on from that one. But from the the comments about you're supposed to hate it, and earlier with your comment about Jonathan Park, well, with the with that scene in Jonathan Park. It's clear that the character who we're watching is very confused about what's going on. And there's a scene when Ryan and I were talking about, actually, about Gravity Falls. If we can make that kind of a reference here, Ryan. (laughs) We can make whatever reference we want. It's our podcast. I mean, that's true. So in that one, you said in the first episode, you get an idea that something's kind of off by uh, little things here, here and there in the episode. And we talked about that as inspiration for Woodgrove because... In that one, I, I kind of want there to be a certain direction that the show goes, but we we need to make it so that early on it's clear this there's something off here. So that said, if if it were kind of weird and nobody acknowledged it, I would start to think that the episode itself isn't acknowledging that. So the fact is, in this episode, I, I don't think that the way the episode had to do it was to to make me dislike the scene that much in order for it to tell a good story. I think sure. it's I think there there still could have been little spots that were irritating, not to the point of where I'm like I dislike the episode, but I feel for the characters in that they're having a hard time here. We've talked a lot about this on Odyssey was with a certain theme that you didn't have to betray one of your characters and his morality to prove your point. So like you don't yeah. have to you don't have to go to that to certain links just to get the audience to go along with you. And I think a way to rework the scene that that would work about the same way was to just turn the sound effects down and <laughs> that's it. That's the only well, thing. Or even just like have them intermittently show up in an annoying fashion for like a second. Like maybe the characters interact with like like the, the buzzing gets really loud right. and then the power goes out for a second. And they're like, ah, and then it right. comes back on. Ah. Okay, rather what, than, what were we talking about? Rather than have it be like they're constantly standing next to the particle collider from Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I'm finding this out since I'm doing a lot more sound design for audio drama is getting the mix right is very difficult. That's probably the hardest thing about sound design 
And you want to make sure you have the right balance where people can hear that in headphones or on speakers. If you're listening on headphones, you're going to hear it just fine. Mm. In a car, yeah, it's going to sound pretty good. If you listen on like a phone speaker like Ryan, um, <laughs> then you may not pick <laughs> it up that. as much. <laughs> but I know it can be difficult. Like, is it too less or too much? Because you want to make sure that it's apparent that that sound is there. They might have just erred on the side of caution to make sure that people heard it rather than not hearing it at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess when you're working like alone as a sound designer and you're you, you got a whole episode to do, that can be kind of tough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but like even if like even if you've got like another sound designer who's working on on an episode with you, like a lot of the early episodes had two sound designers. So like even with then, if you have two people who you're bouncing the work off of, it it can be a little tricky to get that mix right, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only problem: this episode had three sound designers. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I get that. But also, yeah, yeah. The, the, there were three sound designers on that episode and nobody caught that. <laughs> they were like, all right, you do a third of the audio. I'll do the third of the audio. And you, you, you also do this do a one third scene. Of the audio. <laughs> but they all did the sound effects for the buzzing and they all stacked. <laughs> it's like that one episode in season. It's Pride Comes Before the Fall Festival, the Keats for Kids version where Zach and Jacob are on talking on top of each other. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get I get that. I just I just think that there have been so many really good examples of sound design, like the previous episode where the car sound effects are not droning, and all of a sudden they are in this one. Not the car sound effects, but, you know, the room sound effects. There are a lot of snide comments made about the Richters, but there's one that Michael makes toward Timmy in the, the third scene where they're getting the blankets for the nest and for gathering around the, the fireplace. And Michael says, oh, yes. nice footy pajamas, Tim. And Timmy goes, what? Hey. <laughs> and then Mary says, Michael, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, everyone else shows up with footy pajamas. Yes. And then Michael's <laughs> like, oh, I think I'll wear mine. So he he got his in that scene. Yeah, there was there was a bit in in that uh, scene that or the scene right before it that, that amused me. And um, it was when the kids were saying, OK, let's let's go get the blankets for the Christmas nest and Mary is like, you're going to do that one again. And <laughs> when listening to it, I quipped to Ryan, you have peas and cheese. We have the Christmas nest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Come on. You missed an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of callbacks at the very end of the episode, they finished the story. Coleraine won the classic Christmas competition because they brought the phonograph out. And I think it's really funny where Monica is trying to trying to explain to Beth Culp that, oh yeah, this is all this is all fine, even though the power's out. And then John and Mary show up and say, Hey, uh, by the way, we have this antique photograph, and it wins over the and that's enough to win over the competition. Well, maybe, I guess. Uh, I don't know if they had like a, a booth or <laughs> a stand set too. up there or something. And candles. And candles. Candles are great. I want like a Drake meme where he's like an entire decorated village? Nah. <laughs> Candles and a record player? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'll make that and post that in the on the Instagram for this week. <laughs> but after that, John talks about that the, because he missed dinner. And when he says that, he says, I missed dinner. And then the kids go, aw. And then Mary says, oh, I worked hard to prepare this dinner and your dad didn't show up. And they're like, dad. And he's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Mary like takes an entire minute to describe in painful detail how terrible it was for him to miss this dinner. And I was just sitting there like, is she trying to get the kids to tar and feather their dad? <laughs> like, this just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I love that part where they say, like, you know, poor mom. Like, what about poor mom? What about poor dad? And they'll say, they all say in unison, poor, poor dad. dad. <laughs> but there are four elements to 
I think, four main elements to the ending, the final moments of the story. That's reading the Bible story, a couple comments that are made after the Bible story, the Richter showing up with the phonograph, and then them playing one of the records and singing Silent Night. All four of those I really love, but I especially like the second element, is after they read the Bible story, and Timmy gets one line, and the angel said, that's you, Dad. And then after that, (laughs) Brooke read the final line, and she says, don't you wonder if the angels were singing? And then I think it's either either Justin or don't you wonder what the angels were singing, right? Yeah, something like that. Right, right. And then I think it's either Justin or Michael says, I wish I could have been a shepherd. And both of those are callbacks to From Mary with Love. Wink, wink. (laughs) Like one of them is is in (laughs) one of them is in character for Brooke to be wondering that. But then the other one was, oh, yeah, (laughs) funny, funny story. Um, (laughs) And then Mr. Richter comes in and he's like, you know, I've always wanted to own an inn. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's the innkeeper at the door. No, plot twist. Mr. Richter shows up and says, hey, John, you're late on your mortgage. I got to kick you out. (laughs) Plot. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I bet you guys didn't realize they're still our landlords. (laughs) (laughs) And and Justin's like, wait a minute. How did you take over his mortgage from the bank? And and Tom says, I bought the bank. I bought the bank. Let's move on from these references that Austin doesn't know. But anyway, I actually have some references here. Kind of. You talk about how they uh, end singing Silent Night, which is great. I love the sound effects, the way it fades out. And they do really great singing. But I'm not. It's kind of a cliche because I have here four different shows that have Christmas episodes that end with people singing Silent Night. <laughs> One is Gifts from Imagine Guy. No, that's Oh, Come, Let Us Adore Him. So, OK, so I'm thinking uh, Paws and Tales, The Perfect Christmas Gift, oh. this episode and Candle in the Window from Lamplighter Theater. What can I say? It's a good song. It is. It yeah. is. I just, I just noticed that. Talking about tropes. Was it a mm-hmm. silent night, though? Babies cry a lot. Well, if you feed them fast enough, they don't cry as much. And there's a Christmas song that begins with, It was not a silent night. <laughs> I, think is that labor, I think it's Labor of Love is the song, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that, that's also going back to From Mary with Love. That's the question of, was it really, were you really that melodramatically? And now... We wait. And like, you would have been in much more pain there. I think well, Lori Krieg even admitted now, that. Uh, we wait. <laughs> it, 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 depends on, it depends on how quickly her contractions were coming at that point. If they were, you know, mm-hmm. a few minutes apart, sure, sure. Like, depending on how severe the contractions are, like earlier in labor, you're, you're making conversation and stuff. You're in a good mood between contractions and you're just focusing. But yeah, later on, you're just like get this over with <laughs> i'm gonna talk Good it up point. to the fact that Lori krieg didn't read the script beforehand yes therefore anyway going back to this episode i guess sort of final thoughts is thanks guys for keeping me more positive on this one this was great um besides the one scene which i think is still a little bit up in the air for me and which you guys have helped me appreciate the value of this is a really really good episode it's long i think it should have been a two-parter but it's nice that it works as a Christmas special, especially with the way it's packaged with the music and the overall Christmas atmosphere. And it does fit yeah. into the canon, even though even though there were questions about where exactly does it fit. It is nice that this is still part of the backstories of these characters and mm-hmm. and of the interactions with the Richters that we get at the end is it, it helps their character because it shows us a side of them. We didn't have to have in this episode, but we do. And it's really great. One of the best things about this episode is we have credits at the end for the cast. We do. So how about we give the credits for this podcast? 
Sounds good. Nice segue. Well, uh, did you get that one for Christmas? <laughs> the say, <laughs> there's a pun. Uh, no, but, but before we go there, did you guys have any final thoughts on this episode? I liked it. I thought that it was a fun episode and like very cozy. Like the, the problems that you had with the one scene, I actually relate to it a lot more because I have had a wife who was pregnant, not during Christmas. We actually like it was pregnant during everything but Christmas, basically. <laughs> um, but even so, like. I can listen to that scene and the crying part is less like grating on me so much as like, this is too real. And this is hilarious. <laughs> I, every time I, every time I listen to this episode now, I turn to Ryan and I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, uh, I, Michael, I think it was you that you were like, you know, I, I understand this, this is realistic, but I don't want to hear it. And <laughs> what went through my mind was, I I was one of those pregnant women sobbing for no good reason. I didn't want to hear me crying either. <laughs> I do have to say this episode, I believe it's my favorite Christmas episode of DGL. I don't think it's the best. The best one would be A Little Town of Coleraine, which I know some of you disagree with me on that. But <laughs> this episode is really fun. It's like Ryan said, it's a cozy story. It's one of those great stories that, you know, just fits perfect with the holiday. If you want something sweet... Something long that's not super super long, but not you know super short. It's a good it's a good way to spend some time, like when you're wrapping presents or going on a road trip. Absolutely, yeah. My mom and I had a long car ride the other day, so we listened to this one. Um, nice. I missed one one little thing that it is at the very end though. John Campbell is the one who does the the score for the final record that that they play of Silent Night. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, like, that's so clearly John Campbell doing the score on that. So I just sure. imagine John John composed the record that's inside the story. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, look at the look at the cover of the record. It says composed by John Campbell. Yay! Yeah, but <laughs> ditto on what you guys said for the most part. I I enjoyed this one. Hey, Austin, Hannah, one of you is coming in remotely. One of you is the wife of one of our hosts. So <laughs> but whatever the effort it took you to get here, thank you so much for being here. This is fantastic. This has been fun. Yeah, it's fun. I'm like the family member you only see a couple times a year. So <laughs> it's that's that's fun to be that for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, any thoughts on connecting with us? Just want to make this real quick. Anchor.fm slash return to Gilead is the place you go to connect with us. Listen to our episodes, leave a voice message, or see our link tree with links to all the things you could possibly want to explore related to the podcast and down Gilead Lane. <laughs> Why do I always make you do it? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, I'm getting better. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, as a nod to the ending of the episode of Down Gilead Lane, uh, you're return to Gilead. make it buzz in this <laughs> Return to Gilead is a review podcast based on episodes, logos, and artwork and music produced for and with permission from Keys for Kids Ministries. Your hosts are Michael LaFaver, Ryan Matlock, Hannah Matlock, Austin Peachy. Editing and music arrangement is by Michael LaFaver. Music post-production is by Israel Owenby. The current cover artwork was produced by Bethany Burnett. Guys, Hannah, Austin, I guess we will see you sometime in the distant future, depending on whatever the next specials are or whenever you want to come back on, so... Thank you so much for being here again, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for Thank having you. us. In the meantime, I'm Michael. I'm Ryan. Merry Christmas in late June slash early July whenever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we begin Season 4 on our return to Gilead. Woohoo!
Okay, so who wants lemonade? Well, we're going to do the haiku now for this episode. That was a fantastic callback, Austin. <laughs> okay, so what are we doing? I don't know what we're doing. What are we doing, Austin? I thought you had the haiku already. I don't have the haiku. I thought you were going to do a haiku. Don't you, you have don't? the haiku? You have a haiku. Oh, yeah, I, I have one. I didn't know if you were going to do it or not. Oh. Okay, Um. yeah, here we go. Oh, Henry's classic, Mary and John, Magic Guy. Who did it better? Oh, come on. That's the... Oh, I forgot okay. you made that the haiku. That's kind of relevant, have, I have another haiku I just came up with. Go for it. Go ahead. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can remember it. It's a... Uh... It's an extra long episode, so you can have two haikus. <laughs> We're okay. I'm not going to put this at the beginning. This is at the end. I hope you realize that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to find a gift. But what if the real gift was friends made long the way? You just said long, long the way, right? Long, long the, the way. way. Friends made long the so last you took the it's apostrophe so, long. Okay, so in other words, use that ah out that a. You took that. <laughs> oh out yeah, we took out the a prolonged. That's what, we do, that's what we do other times. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's so con- That's con- very convoluted. I don't understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it it's when you're l- editing. It's this. late. It's three forty-five in the afternoon. No, I I'm trying to get it, but that's such weird. That's such a weird way to put it. Like, every time we're saying, ah, uh, we're referencing that haiku? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Austin's, like, saying, like, oh, theory, the A that we're always saying came from this haiku. That's what I mean. No, that's not what I was meaning. I mean, you left it off since you already used the ah uh, somewhere else. I think that was closer yeah. to what I was trying to say. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I've, so I've he accumulated left it off odd it... debt. Okay. I've got to pay back uh, now. Long. I get that. I like. Do you have just long? See, my my time traveling thing that you were kind of actually you actually played along with a second ago, <laughs> Ryan. I actually thought that's what you were talking about. Like that's so weird. <laughs> that's so bizarre. <laughs> How about we stop recording now? Okay. <laughs> and now enjoy episode forty-four of Return to Gilead. I don't know. Oh, I like that much better. Could you feel that? Yeah, could th- you feel it? It felt a little better than yeah, the first one, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm still not. I would do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. One more, and here's what I would do. Here's here's the. It, it was like, oh yes, it's 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 got warmth and sparkle to it. What what you just did that was mm. that was really nice. You could feel that. Yeah, you could feel it. Okay, so I would I would focus on um, the subtle end part. Just slow down. Just enjoy the. So yeah, it is. Like, it's so too welcome. fast, huh? Yeah, just just kind of because you re- you want the what's the saying is welcome and give that warmth like so subtle and just like. Okay, picture this. You love audio drama, right? You and I both do. Like, I want you to like close your eyes and picture. You know that, that you know, the storyteller mm, thing. Mm. So settle in and just like enjoy. That's that's the only okay. thing I would say. That was a really nice read. That's the only part I would just push up. Welcome to an extended review of the best Christmas on record. This is episode S seven of Down Gilead Lane by Beth Culp. Settle in for a Christmas in July special from your dedicated hosts. And now, enjoy episode 44 of Return to Gilead. Of course, the train. No, those are jingle bells. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great take. That was a great... Could you feel it? Could yeah, you feel it? Yeah, I think... I, that think was just, it, yeah. I could feel excitement. I felt the spark and the warmth. There's like... You, you nailed it all. That was a beautiful take. That was a beautiful take. Hey, Michael, hopefully one of these will work for you. And in case you couldn't tell from the voice, uh, I'm uh, here with uh, John Fornoff. So, uh, hey, how's it going? Michael LeFavor. Michael, good to talk to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. These are coming at you right now. 